Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Luke Dubrow. Thanks for being on the show, Luke. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, Whitney. Looking forward to getting into it. Luke's educational and professional experience is in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry, and he has been involved with projects valued at over $750 million over the last nine years. He's a limited partner in 445 units across two assets in Texas, totaling $36.8 million, is part of the National Black MBA Association and African American Real Estate Professionals, and holds a master's in engineering from UCLA and soon an MBA from the University of Illinois. His goal in real estate is to create generational wealth, leave a legacy, and provide a better life for his family. And we're going to hear today just some of the things he's done to get that started, especially investing as an LP uh, in a few deals, things he's looked for. We want to learn from his experience and, and how he chose, whether it's the GP or the market, and different ways that he has been successful that in his path moving forward. So Luke, welcome again. Grateful for your time and being willing to share your experience and expertise with us. Uh, give us a little more about your background and just getting into the syndication business and why, you know, why invest in syndications and why was that right for you all? Yeah, so... You know, when I had finished grad school, this was back in 2012, I ended up reading the famous purple yellow book that everybody references, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so I had kind of had things on my radar in that way already, just being able to do more than simply work in order to have income. And I saw things like that growing up as well. I had some exposure to that, but I didn't really have any sort of framework or plan to move forward with that. And so reading that kind of sh definitely shifted my mentality a bit, Whitney. And then I continued to just get education and learn and, and read books and pod. I mean, podcasts back then weren't nearly as big as they are now, but you know, maybe five years ago podcasts were. And so that kind of helped along the way. And I had an opportunity to invest in a couple of those deals out in Texas, like you mentioned, and I knew it was the right time and wanted to move forward with it because, you know, I've been preparing for it. I've been waiting for it for, for so long at that point, it felt like. So I, you know, jumped into those and the rest is history and I'm still involved in both of those deals. They haven't gone full cycle yet, but those are doing well and looking forward to investing in more. Nice. Well, you know, let's jump in there a little bit. And I'd like to even back up and say, you know, how did you know where you were ready? Why was it syndication? You've been educating yourself, but you could have invested with a single family operator or you could have invested in land or hospitality or, you know, there's so many other avenues, right? Or in the stock market, even. Why was it syndication? And, and I assume it was a multi, yeah, multifamily because we shared the units. Yeah. So I never ended up doing a 401k. You know, I was 22 and I started out working. I didn't do the 401k because I didn't understand it. I didn't want to put my money into something that I didn't get. And it didn't seem like anybody else at work really understood it. It seemed like they were just doing it because that's what you were quote unquote supposed to do. Now I understand what the heck's going on with those, but I'm a cash flow person and I need to understand what's going on and capital preservation. And you know, of the different asset classes, whether it's in real estate or in the public equities that you just mentioned, Real estate, specifically multifamily real estate, is the one that's able to provide capital preservation. It's something I understand, and it has that cash flow. Everything else, 
it's a little, it can be a little more volatile. It can be a little more tricky, something like single family, obviously land, it doesn't cash flow. So, you know, that kind of met my criteria that I was looking for. Tell us a little about your, you know, you were educating yourself. So many people that are listening right now are doing the same thing you were doing, you know, a few, quite a few years ago now. They're learning about the syndication business as they're looking to invest and grow their wealth. They're also trying to figure out, well, how do I trust this general partner? How do I trust this operator? You know, there's so many of us, have, you know, have different qualities, right? That, you know, we bring to the business. I mean, I just got off the phone with numerous investors, you know, that ask different questions, right? Many are the same, but many are different and they want to know how they can trust me, right? You know, we just want to show everybody that we can be trusted, right? And, but how did you go through that process to say, okay, you know, this is the operator I want to put my hard earned money with? Yeah. So the two offerings that I invested in were both 506B. And so, there was a connection that both of us had. My former roommate had a connection to one of the lead sponsors on the deal. You know, that helped provide a bit of a sense of trust, of course, but meeting with him and talking to him, so there's two partners um, and meeting with him and talking with him, that ended up helping a bunch to provide some more, I guess, a greater level of comfort, right? So it's like, I want to be able to feel like, okay, does this person know what they're talking about, number one, but do they seem like they're a good person? Could I actually have a conversation with them? You know, if we end up, working or partnering together in some way down the road is that somebody who i'd want to actually partner with like can i talk to them period like have a basic conversation so that was that was honestly big for me and then there was just a lot of due diligence i mean i checked out both of the sponsors i checked out the property management company like my fiance and i we, we secret shop both of the deals we looked at the areas like so both of the deals are in san antonio and we weren't as familiar with them because we're native californians and so we went out there, we secret shopped them. We talked to the property manager who was and the leasing agents who were there. I wanted to see what kind of cars were in the driveway, you know, all of that sort of thing. Like at the very least, would I want to live here? Would I be comfortable living here? Do I feel safe? Right. And then the last piece was doing my own underwriting on them too. So I took the pro forma and ended up doing sensitivity analyses and just ended up checking like, okay, so how bad do things have to get to where, this deal isn't going to work anymore. And because like I said before, I'm big on capital preservation. It's, you know, especially when you're working, I'm sure you're aware of this. It's like, it takes so much time and energy to end up actually collecting the money and keeping it and you get taxed on it. Like, I don't want to lose it. So, because there's a bunch of time and energy that got put into it. So I wanted to make sure the capital was going to be preserved. And so with that, my own underwriting, that gave me a, a greater level of comfort as well. You know, that group, they're Wildhorn Capital. If anybody's heard of them, they're, I guess, one of the partners is in LA. The other one is in Austin, Reed and Andrew. And I mean, those were the two first deals. And I think now they're on to their eighth. I want to say something like that. So they definitely continued to grow along the way over the past several years. Yeah, I know both those guys pretty well. Great guys. They've had some success. Or do, yeah, I think a lot of both of them. I wanted to jump into a few things you said there. You know, you talked about, you know, you went to great lengths to be able to vet the general partnership. To look at the deals specifically, there's very few times. We offer it to all of our investors also. Like, come out to the property. We'd love to host you. You know, come out and walk the property with us. We'd love for you to put your hand on the building. No, it's real, you know. and it, But most can't do that. and they're, Or they're... they're they're too busy, right? Or they're busy, you know, operating their professional business or whatever they're doing, you know, and it's hard to get a flight out within a week or two and see the property in time before they have to make that decision. That's why they're investing passively in the first place, right? You know, because they're, they don't want to be the operator, don't have time to do that. And that's, that's why this business model works for them. But, but you did, I think it's incredible. Tell me about 
How did you prepare for even like a property management conversation? Because that seems... Or how did you vet a property manager? And what was your thoughts behind that and just being prepared for that meeting when you're really just learning about the syndication business? Yeah. So I guess it was two things. There was there was a lot of digging I ended up doing online about the property management company. So I just did my own sort of you know research and that, that ended up helping, I would say, just to figure out, okay, well, how long have they been in this business? Is this, you know, are they, do they do well with value add properties? Those were the sorts of things that I was interested in. You knew the business model that that was going to happen, that they were planning for the property you were going to invest in and said, okay, has this management company done that before? Right. Is that something that's on their website as, you know, they might have all these units, but are they, you know, do they do more lease up or have they done value add in terms or like these turnaround properties, so to speak? That was something that I wanted to get a sense for because they're completely different competencies, you know? And then the other part too was just literally, like I said, we secret shopped them. So we went in we said, hey, we're looking at moving to the area. We just want to look at a couple, uh, you know, a one bedroom, a two bedroom. And that ended up helping a bunch. I just wanted to see, I've been in sales for the past six years, right? And so customer interactions are very, very important. I'm like, okay, so how do they greet us? Are they professional? Do they have their stuff together? That was something that was important. And I wanted to see, okay, what's the qualitative feel? Are they asking for the sale at the end of it? Are they trying to get us to apply? All of that sort of stuff. Nice. Now, it's incredible. I mean, you, you secret shop. I've secret shopped some properties before that we were looking at purchasing. That's interesting, you know, as an investor, you know, taking the time. I mean, it wasn't like it was in your backyard either. You know, you all had to upfront some expense there, you know, to be able to go and do that and probably stay overnight a night or two, you know, and, and like you mentioned, you know, even seeing the types of cars that were at the property and, and determining whether you would be comfortable living there. You know, the next thing I wanted to ask you though was you, know, you mentioned like underwriting the property and doing, sensitivity checks and things like that. I mean, that's kind of a more uh, detailed thing too. You know, that's, there's a whole skill set around underwriting and understanding, you know, the, the sensitivities of, of a specific property or business plan. How did you educate yourself enough to feel comfortable even underwriting a property like that? I had looked at previous OMs before and, and I had a, an understanding of the basics of an income statement at that time and how a DCF cash flow model works. So that ended up helping. But then the other part, what I ended up doing was I just took what they had as their pro forma. And so, I mean, to preface this, like I have a master's degree in engineering. So it's like, okay, well, I can work with a spreadsheet and I can understand some basics, right? So you got a leg up already. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like comfortable, you know, some being comfortable with like numbers at the very basics, but then being able to, you know, work the basics of a spreadsheet, like nothing too crazy, of course, but being able to work with that. So I just ended up looking at a combination of the rent dropping and the occupancy dropping, where does the deal not work anymore? Whether it's year one, year two, year three. I mean, if it's year five at that point, it probably doesn't matter. So I kind of looked at those several years. You know, I ended up diving in that way to do my sensitivity analysis. Like I said, you know, if the money does what it's supposed to do and all the targets are reached, that's great. But man, I do not want to lose money. Like that's, you know, it's like capital preservation. A lot of the reason why people invest in multifamily and in real estate generally is because there is capital preservation. It is that hard asset, right? It's a very risk averse industry, generally speaking, compared to so many others. And so, you know, that's what attracted me to. And so I wanted to make sure that these properties and these investments ended up fitting that criteria for me. 
Nice. Uh, you know, I know that you had a connection through a friend to the GP, you know, so there was already some trust there built in, you know, and that's always helpful, right? To have some somebody refer you. We love referrals, right? You know, I mean, because that speaks volumes before ever even having a call with someone. So you, you figured out, okay, you know, I feel like we can trust these guys. What about uh, the market itself? Was there anything specific that said, okay, you know, I love this. This market seems to be doing really well. It's a place to to put that capital so we don't lose it. Yeah, I think the big thing was looking at the state. I mean, the state of Texas is much more business. So I'm very familiar with California. They're polar opposites, as we all know. So that was one thing was the state. And then looking down at the actual MSA, I mean, San Antonio was and still is more affordable than like the next closest MSA, which is Austin. And so the idea is that, and it's probably, it's continuing to happen. There's so many people who are getting priced out of Austin and they're needing to move to San Antonio. And San Antonio is a more diversified workforce than Austin does as well. So it was those things. And then also population growth, jobs were continuing to go there. It was a combination of those things that I was looking at and that ended up making it more advantageous. I mean, the other part too is, I mean, broadly speaking is with it being business friendly, the the laws for landlords and what you're able to do there versus what you're able to do here in California. Downside is the taxes, but you just know that going in and, and just prepare for it as it comes up annually, basically. Yeah. You know, I know, you know, now you are, you know, you've got some experience investing. Obviously, you're good with numbers. You know, you have lots of experience there, but now you are transitioning, right? You want to become, you want to go more to the general partnership side. Can you talk us through that? Just process a little bit what your plan is. Uh, There's numerous people listening who are doing the same thing, or maybe they've even invested passively in a few deals just to learn the business so they can also become a general partner. What's your plan or thought process behind that as well? Yeah. So it's really, I mean, really the main reason is to be able to have the lifestyle that my fiance, so we're getting Daisy and I, my fiance, I keep mentioning her, we're getting married in two weeks, right? And we're planning on having children. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, Whitney. You know, and so we're planning on having children and we want to be able to have a certain lifestyle with that. If you're on the GP side, you're able to end up growing your wealth more quickly um, from what I've seen and looking at numbers than you would if you were on the LP side. And of course, you have to want to actually be active, but both of us do. It's something that we want to end up moving forward with. And so the process to kind of do that, you know, it really started, I guess, back in March, April. I mean, when everything kind of shut down and we looked at it as an opportunity to really move forward with it. We started attending so many meetups, different types of RIAs. I mean, the main one is, is MFM and is, you know, is also Phoebe here in Southern California as well. MFM is multifamily masters and Phoebe is for investors by investors. And so we started attending those meetups, learning more, getting connected with more people within the industry have continued to do so. We decided to start the podcast. I mean, one way of that is as a marketing tool, of course, but we wanted to be able to address a part of the market that just hadn't been addressed. It seemed like anybody was really speaking to them. And, and that's why we ended up focusing specifically on um, millennials and how real estate can end up helping them. So, you know, right now we're continuing to build out the team with capital raisers, lenders, brokers, attorneys, KPs. It's a process, of course. Like there's a lot of moving parts. It's been fun so far. So maybe you can speak to, imagine you have a good JOB right now and you've probably worked hard to, you know, gain the degree you have and lots of time spent there, right? And that's a lot to leave behind. And probably family people were saying, Luke, what are you doing? You know, you spent all this time over here. You're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's interesting. 
I guess I look at it more like not what I'm leaving behind, but what I'm moving towards, right? And it's more of the opportunity cost of not doing it is much more of a motivator than I put in all this time and there's a sunk cost into doing the work that I've been doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. People just kind of figure it out along the way. It's not kind of seems like, I mean, maybe some people know exactly what they want to do when they're like, you know, when they're 15, like you're Isaac Newton or or Elon Musk or something, right? But, you know, I've just kind of figured things out along the way. And I mean, this is something I've been sold on for quite some time now. And so moving forward with that, it just ends up making the most sense. And I think I've been talking to people about it for so long that it doesn't necessarily come as a surprise that, you know, I plan to transition over, Daisy plans to transition over as well. Both of us still work full time, but, you know, we're LPs and forming our team and, and working on the syndication route in parallel right now. Up to this point, what's been the hardest part of this syndication journey or process for you? It's like knowing what you don't know. Like you don't know what you don't know. I mean, that's a big part of it. Like I said, there's a lot of moving parts. It is a simple business. You buy a property, people rent it out, you get the money. But there's, you know, there's more to it than that, of course. So I'd say not knowing those things. And you know, that's why we're, we're having more talks with KPs as we're saying, okay, like this is, we're really diving into this to make sure we have all those ducks in a row, so to speak. How do you prepare for a downturn? And you can say that from the LP side, you know, looking at a GP or even you moving forward on the active side as well. I'd say one thing is the, you know, I'll start macro and go micro. I mean, one thing is the market. I mean, pick the right state, pick the right market. Look at where trends have been going for the past five to 10 years. Look at what's been happening the past six to nine months. You know, look at where things will continue to likely end up going. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at how legislation and cost of living drives population growth or population movement, you know? So I'd say that's one thing. And then the other thing is a sensitivity analysis. I ended up underwriting to see how far does occupancy have to drop and how far does revenue have to drop in year one, two, or three for it to not cash flow anymore. What's that number? And I'm like, okay, is has occupancy ever dipped that much? You know, this okay, so occupancy has to drop eighty to eighty percent and revenue, top line revenue has to drop ten percent. Has it happened historically? How were things before? Then if it hasn't, and you know, I feel like it's unlikely to end up happening, it just hasn't happened historically, then that gives me a level of comfort knowing that the downturn, you know, is prepared for. What do you predict, you know, over the next six to 12 months, you know, as a, investors are listening, they're contemplating, okay, is this the time to invest? Or even as a buyer, you know, is this the time to buy or should we wait? I'm of the mind that the best time to do something is now, generally speaking, right? I mean, it's just, it's just a matter of taking action because you're going to be further ahead in six months than you would have been otherwise. So that's where my head goes. I've Inherently, there's going to be markets and deals and sponsors and things that, you know, those things that end up working, they're out there. You know, you can still see deals coming through and all of that. So that's kind of the advice that I would give. I mean, in terms of what I actually think is going to happen, I mean, of course, part of it's dependent on who's, and who gets elected in early November, I would say to an extent. But generally speaking, over the long term, it's like cap rates are going to continue to compress. I mean, probably the 10-year treasury is going to continue to, to be flat. Interest rates probably will be. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, several years out. And economic growth may not end up being where the Fed's trying to get it to. So, yeah, that's really where my head goes. I mean, I think what's going to happen is that people who sit on the sidelines are going to be kicking themselves in five years, wishing that they would have gotten involved. You know, that's where my head goes. 
What would you have done different on, say, that first or second investment now that you know what you know? I probably would have been more vocal and asking more questions. You know, I kind of felt like I wasn't able. I had this idea that, oh, well, they're the lead sponsor. They're the managing partner of this deal, you know, of this firm. And I shouldn't ask questions to them or shouldn't. I'll ask a few and then just kind of leave it there and just try to connect the dots as best I can. But I probably would have asked more questions because I would have known more now at this point and would have been better prepared for what Daisy and I are doing. What's a way you've recently improved your business that we could apply to our business? Calendly's huge. I mean, that's, you know, we have a podcast also. And so coordinating these times is just like crazy so many times. And, and Calendly is a big, I, I don't know how much it even costs. It's like 10 bucks or something. I mean, that's huge. What's your best source for meeting new investors? Honestly, it's really been the podcast. I mean, people reach out to us on Instagram or they reach out to us via email and we just have conversations with them. We just let them know what we know. And if they have questions and they continue to ask questions. So the podcast for us has been huge to just meet more people who are, who are interested. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I would say my parents, I had a pretty rock solid foundation, I would say. I think being born to parents who have degrees and even though one of them isn't from here and you know another one isn't uh, when i say not from here one of them's not one of them's an immigrant and the other one parents were both immigrants but man it's you know i had just a really solid foundation they both have degrees i have degrees i was born in america they just like set up this like very basic level for me to be able to succeed so i'd, I'd say it's that with me wow how do you like to give back luke Honestly, it's like talking to people, especially people who are younger than me and just letting them know that these things are available. You know, you don't have to do what, you know, life is what you make it. You can live the life that you want to live. You know, there's no rules to this thing, right? People make up new rules all the time. Like I said, Elon Musk is like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to dig tunnels. I'm going to go to Mars and whatever, you know? So for me, it's like talking to younger people about these opportunities that are available and kind of seizing the day carpe diem. Luke, it's been great to get to know you a little bit and and just hear your story. And from getting the degree and having a great job to investing passively and the the due diligence that you did there, I thought was incredible compared to most investors when they first start investing in these deals. But just the length that you went to to travel there and secrets shop and property management company and just even knowing to look at the cars that were there and sensitivity checks, all those things into the market to now becoming a general partner in your plan to get there. Uh, Just grateful for your time and sharing that listeners and myself. How can they get in touch with you and learn more about you? Yeah, it's been great talking, Whitney. Thanks for having me on. The best way to get in contact is you can reach us at Make It Rain Podcast on Instagram. We're at makeitrainpodcast.com. Our podcast is everywhere. It's Make It Rain Multifamily Real Estate Investing for Millennials. You can also email me too if you'd like. My email is jldabreau at gmail.com and you can reach out to me there. So any, you know, I'm open to any questions that anybody has, you know, if I don't know something, I'll say, I don't know, and then refer you to a contact who, who does. So more than happy to continue the conversation with any of your listeners, Whitney. Awesome. That's a wrap, Luke. Thank you very much. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. 
subscribe too, so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.